Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Craig. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 126, and today we're talking about Southeast Asia with Travel Fish Director Stuart McDonald. Yeah, Stuart McDonald's one of the team behind the immensely popular TravelFish.org website, and he'll also talk about his love of Southeast Asia and gives us an overview of travel in lots of areas of Southeast Asia, <laughs> like Indonesia, Cambodia, Laos, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, etc. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is brought to you by WorldNomads.com. WorldNomads.com provides great value global travel insurance. You can buy, extend, and claim online, even if you're already traveling. All policyholders also get a free travel blog, safety advice, and language guides for your iPod or iPhone. WorldNomads.com. Keep traveling safely. Traveling safely is definitely a good idea. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Well, this week we've been um, doing all sorts of things, really, but working on the next magazine, which is coming mm. out in December, means we've only got a couple of weeks left to get it to the printer. Yeah, I've been um, addicted to one thing only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've still got to get the magazine finished in two weeks. I know, I know. Yeah. But I really like Spanish at the moment. It's really funny to be addicted to something that's kind of socially acceptable. You know, everyone says, so what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm studying. Oh, you're studying. Why are you studying? Oh, I just, I just, I just really like Spanish. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to tell people about the site you've been using? Oh, yeah. I've been using this really cool site called italki.com. And basically what you do is you log in and you set the languages that you speak and the ones that you are trying to learn. So for me, I've put on that I speak English as a native and I'm learning Spanish. And then people can search for people online who have the same languages, basically. So one day I set my status as, I'd like to speak Spanish for someone. And someone came along and said, oh, you can speak Spanish with me. So I started speaking Spanish and it was all good. So I've met a lot of people through that. Sometimes their chat function doesn't work so well, but um, it's okay. When Linda says she's studying Spanish, what she really means is she's chatting online to hot Latin guys on the internet. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> Although, Craig, you might want to be aware that some of those guys do listen to the podcast. <laughs> hot. And they're not all from... A lot of them do seem to be from Mexico, which is interesting. But mm. I've, I've met one guy who isn't... One's from, one's from America and one's from Germany, so yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So, yes, they are all guys. So. <laughs> we better get on to this interview with Stuart. Um, there's a few times during the interview that we break up um, over the Skype call. Um, we break up? We break up. Oh, my God. It's terrible. <laughs> um, so thanks to the internet quality in New Zealand and the internet quality in Indonesia, this uh, was a bit of a pain to get this interview done. So we've edited, edited it as best we could, but... Um, Sorry in advance for the sometimes dodgy uh, recording quality. Well, anyway, let's get on with talking to Stuart. So you've been traveling around Southeast Asia for quite a while now and amassed a huge amount of uh, information on the area. Can you tell us a bit about where you come from and what drew you into Indonesia and Southeast Asia? Uh, well, we've been, uh, my wife and I have been living in the region for about 13 years now, 12 or 13 years. Um, I came here on holidays a number of times before that. Um, Thailand was actually the last stop for me on the round the world trip. Um, and it was just sort of an afterthought. I hadn't, it really wasn't all that interested in the, the region. And uh, 
got off the plane in Bangkok and I've uh, been coming back here ever since. Um, there's just something about it. Uh, I know it's a bit of a cliche to say, um, but it, it, we started coming back here uh, every year and then I wrote a couple of guidebooks and then Sam and I came up here again on a, what turned into a prolonged holiday and we ended up living here. So that's sort of what brought us here, I guess. Um, it's a comfortable place to live. Interesting. Well, uh, you said that at the moment you're living in Bali in Indonesia. What's it like being an expat there? It's a very comfortable place to live. Uh, we've got two young children now, and Bali's a, a fabulous place for kids. We've, uh, we've got a quite comfortable house to live in, and we're walking distance to the beach, and it's easy enough to go up into the, into the hills to Ubud um, and other parts of the island. Um, and it's just a very comfortable place. It's inexpensive. Uh, it's safe. Um, it's not polluted. Uh, I wasn't very taken with living in Jakarta. It was sort of like living in Bangkok, but with none of the upsides, was my personal opinion on it. And to bring up young children in a very big, very polluted city wasn't all that appealing. So to move here where the, um, the skies are clear and is just feels like a better place for bringing up kids. So, yeah, we're quite happy here. Nice. And is there uh, much to do there for travellers if I was coming through for a week? To Bali? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's plenty to do here, whether you're... There's diving. There's, uh, it's a fabulous surf destination. Um, people can go rafting. There's a, Bali has a very strong and rich culture. And uh, so there's a lot of um, activities that sort of revolve around that, whether it's seeing traditional dance or traditional music performances and just seeing uh, life day by day is a very rich experience here. Well, let's um, change topic a little bit. You mentioned before that you wrote a couple of guidebooks and um, that's turned into travelfish.org, which is probably from, as I talk to people again and again it just keeps coming up in people's planning and their travels around the region so it's very comprehensive um how did it all start and how's it going now from your side of things well it we it was quite a circuitous journey from the guidebooks to 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 uh travel fish um we did i decided to start <coughs> excuse me writing the guidebooks because when i came to Vietnam for the first time, I was using a, a guidebook and it just wasn't very good. And knowing what I know now, I can understand why it probably wasn't very good um, because at the time Vietnam was a very challenging uh, country to, to travel in. So the myself and my travel companion decided to um, write our own guidebook and so that's what we did and we had that published and it was reasonably successful and so then we went on to do one on Thailand um, which was a lot more work but did, uh, did quite well but after that uh, the internet was start starting to that was in 94 and 96 and the internet was sort of becoming more, more of a uh, a thing, you know, it was really developing by then and um, we ended up not doing more books and so we moved to, to Bangkok, Bangkok and I did all sorts of jobs. I worked at the Australian Embassy, I worked at a newspaper, I taught English 
um, for a few years and I really wanted to get back into travel and my embassy job had had a large portion of that involved web design and so I had had to teach myself how to build websites and what have you. So I took the knowledge I had from that from and combined it with um, what I'd learned in writing the guidebooks and we started putting the website together. And so we started off just covering a couple, we were still living in Bangkok at the time and we started off just covering a couple of our favorite places in, in Thailand. And uh, it slowly grew over the years. We've just had our fifth, uh, fifth birthday anniversary and um, we now list around 4,000 uh, guest houses to stay in the region. Um, and they're all being uh, independently reviewed by either myself or or one of our other researchers, which sort of differentiates Travelfish from a lot of other websites out there where either the hotel is writing their own copy or um, the reviews are paid for or they're advertorial. Um, with Travelfish, you're really reading what you would get in a, in a guidebook in a lot of ways because it's our opinion. And it's not often, so in some cases, it's not really what the guest house or hotel would like to have written about them. I bet with um, over 4,000 um, kind of different accommodations, that's a lot of reviewing. You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've personally reviewed probably, I'd be guessing here, but probably about 2,500 of those. Um, and other some of these properties have been re-reviewed three, four, five times over the years as we do updates. Um, but between myself and the other researchers, yeah, it's just over 4,000 now. Um, and we cover a lot of places that others don't. We, we cover particularly in countries like Laos and Cambodia where you're lucky if a place has a telephone, never alone an email address. So these kind of, and they're also very cheap. So for a lot of the hotel booking websites, these aren't appealing places to list because they can't make any money out of them. Like there's no commissions to be made on reservations or anything like that. Um, so we're one of the only websites that I know of that, um, that cover places like this. So it's good for the business because they're getting some profile they wouldn't otherwise have. And obviously it's good for the traveler because they're reading about places that you won't read about anywhere else. Mm. I know on Travelfish there's a lot of information for free that people can download, but you also um, sell um, guidebooks very cheaply for you know between three and five dollars. Most of them. Uh, what's the difference yeah. between the the content that you get on site and the content that you get in the guides? Uh, there's not a lot of difference. Um, there's a little bit of value adding in the. We have some uh, feature stories or snippets that might be in the paid for guides that isn't in the site um, but what you're really paying for in buying one of the PDF guides is that it's uh, it's packaged up and it's all in one neat little uh, package um, so where if you're planning a, a trip to I don't know uh, Phnom Penh in, in Cambodia for example you can surf all through this all through the website and find your best the guest house you want to stay at and find the restaurants and what have you and even print it off page by page if you want um, or you can buy the guide and it's all condensed up into an easy-to-read document that has the maps, that has all the information that you can sort of print off and take with you. Or some people put them on their um, e-book readers and that kind of thing or take them with them on their laptops. Um, but really what we're packaging up is the, uh, 
it's an ease of use thing. It's saving your time um, for a, what, what is often a, a fairly nominal price. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, and, and so when, when we put those together, like we'll have a, like a traditional guidebook might have a turnaround time, let's say, of about nine months to a year. So when Joe Blow Researcher has just looked at a cafe, that probably won't be written about in a guidebook that you can buy off the bookshelf for about nine months to a year. So there's that, have a big lag. Uh, it t- takes us around, depending on the guide, around three to four weeks to transfer it from the researcher walking out of the, the cafe to us having it available in a, you know, for saleable guide or available on the website for free. So that's a, that's a big benefit for the, the traveler. Southeast Asia is, um, generally speaking, it's probably safer than your home country. I mean, you need to use common sense. Uh, if you're going to rent a motorbike, wear a helmet. If don't ride your motorbike drunk, uh, get travel insurance. If someone like World Nomads, that kind of thing is, is, you know, if you can't afford to get travel insurance, you can't afford to travel. Um, there are various scams. The that go on um, in Thailand. You shouldn't use the private bus system. You should always use government buses uh, because the private buses uh, theft is endemic. They have a a thief will sit in the luggage compartment and go through your bags. Um, so you've got to be wary of that kind of thing. A lot of the scams in Thailand are very well publicised. Stuff like uh, gem scams. You shouldn't buy gems. Um, you should steer clear of the duty free sections at the, uh, Bangkok's airport. Um, those kind of things, I mean, with a bit of common sense, you can avoid them. In the far south of Thailand, there's been a long-running uh, um, civil strife. Um, since 2004, I think about 3,000 people have been killed. Um, but it's, it's a local political uh, issue, it, and tourists have never been targeted. Some tourists have been killed, not very many, um, but they're certainly not being specifically targeted. Um, and this is in a part of southern Thailand that tourists generally don't go to. Um, so that's not really something to really worry about. Still on Thailand, though, there is um, ongoing political uncertainties there. Um, that have, the country is sort of in this political stalemate, and it's been like that for the last year or so. Um, and again, while it doesn't have a direct effect on tourists, um, when the protests come out, it tends to shut down public transport and that kind of thing and just messes with people's itineraries. So it's worth keeping a, an eye on that. Um, in Cambodia, um, you've got the same petty issues, pickpocketing, petty crime, that kind of thing. There's not much in the way of violent crime towards foreigners in Cambodia, but there are a lot of guns there um, and things happen. So again, you, you need to sort of exercise a fair amount of, uh, a fair amount of care um, in Laos, uh, again, it's really just petty crime. Um, there was a death there earlier this week of a backpacker who died in, in Vang Vieng, which is a major backpacker area. He was rafting on a, or uh, not rafting, on a spare tire floating down the river and a flash flood came through and he drowned. Uh, he wasn't wearing a life jacket. Uh, life jackets are available. I mean, a lot of, uh, when you hear about uh, a tourist dying, as tragic as it is, um, a lot of times people not really using their, their common sense. Um, so, you know, when you do, do your packing, just remember to pack your brain 
and um, use a bit of common sense. It goes a long way. Mm, you said a lot of these scams have been um, well publicized. Do you have a section on travelfish.org that kind of covers this kind of research? Uh, not as a specific um, thing in the forum. It comes up frequently, people asking. So there's like Q&A sections on the, on the message board saying, you know, scams to watch out for, that kind of thing. Um, there was recently a documentary in uh, screening in Britain that um, probably overstated some of the risks that people um, uh, face. I, I mean, one of the big issues here is drugs. Uh, the penalties, penalties are very severe, um, but there is a there is a feeling amongst amongst travellers that if you get caught, oh, I'll just be able to pay my way out of it. If you're lucky and you have access to a lot of money, um, then perhaps you will. Um, but there's no shortage of foreigners here locked up uh, on on drugs charges. Where if they had been arrested in say the UK with the same quantity they wouldn't have had a, faced a penalty at all or maybe just got a slap on the wrists. It's really not something to be messed with here. Um, and particularly in Thailand where people buy drugs and then travel with them from one island to another, uh, perhaps, that's doubly problematic because from the authorities' point of view, it changes from possession to trafficking and there's a different level of penalties involved. So... Uh, Again, it comes down to common sense, you know, familiarize yourself with the laws, drugs are illegal, um, and if you get caught, if you're lucky, it'll just cost you a lot of money, but if you're not, you'll be having a, a far more prolonged stay in the region than perhaps you planned. Mm, absolutely. Um, so you cover several different countries in Southeast Asia. Um, there's Cambodia, Laos, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. So um, mm -hmm. I just want to spend a couple of minutes kind of talking about each one and giving a, a broad overview of what they'd be like to someone who hasn't read about or researched Southeast Asia at all and uh, maybe mm -hmm. thinking about going. So um, should we start with Malaysia and Singapore? Because I've heard of them described as Asia light and kind of a great place to, to get your feet wet without freaking out about um, all the, the <coughs> cultural differences. Um, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, to to an extent, um, they're both. Well, Singapore is uh, the most westernised place in in Asia. It's still very Asian, um, but it's very westernised. Um, but they're both extremely easy to travel around in. They both uh, use a Roman script language. I mean, they do have local uh, scripts as well. But your your bus signs and your road signs and everything will be in a script that you can read. And that makes a big difference when you compare that to traveling in Thailand, Laos, Cambodia or Vietnam where um, they're not using the, a script that everybody is familiar with so it makes it easier to get around. Um, English is spoken widely in both places, particularly in Singapore but also in, in Malaysia. So it's, it's easy to get around, it's easy to make yourself understood. Um, so yeah, I mean they're definitely, I'd say Asia easy rather than Asia light. Um, because they're still very rich Asian uh, destinations, cultural-wise and activity-wise, there's plenty to do. Um, but they're, they're yeah, very easy to travel in. Mm. What would be some of your highlights in, um, say, in Malaysia? In Malaysia, uh, let's see. We'd have 
uh, going to the Pahintian Islands on the east coast of Peninsula Malaysia. It's right up near the Thai border. Um, these are fabulous places for snorkeling and diving. Um, we, when we went there, we went uh, swimming with turtles, which is something that has always stayed with me. I've never had the opportunity to do that again. Um, you've got large national parks in the centre. Taman Nagara is probably the, the highlight. You can do everything from a half-a-day walk to nine-day treks through the park. Um, it's also, I, I think, I'm not sure of this, but I'm pretty sure it's the oldest tract of rainforest in the world, um, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, then on the, on the west coast, you've got Penang, uh, which is famous worldwide for its food. And while the main beaches, Penang's not really a beach destination, but it does have beaches, and the main ones aren't great, aren't great beaches. But there are back beaches that you can go to that are lesser known, um, where you can have a nice stretch of sand all to yourself. Mm. So, yeah. Thinking beaches, what would be your your top pick? What's what's the best beach country or the best uh, best region? If you just want to sit on the beach for uh, uh, a week or five. A week or five. Well, of the countries that we cover at the moment are Thailand. Um, it has a beach for every kind of taste, whether you like your um, restaurants and bars and clubs right onto the beach or whether you prefer something more Robinson Crusoe-like. Um, some of the beaches have uh, are facing pretty severe environmental and waste problems um, because they are extremely popular and the infrastructure doesn't always grow at, this, at the rate that it should to keep things in a more pristine way. Um, but yeah, I think Thailand is a great beach destination. Uh, um, you can go diving there, you can go snorkeling, uh, swim with dugongs on the southwest coast, which is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good place. Cambodia's beaches aren't as good, but there's some, in inverted commas, emerging destinations on the off the Cambodian coast with a couple of islands that... I've not actually been to myself yet, but from what I hear, they're, uh, they're where it's at for, for new beaches, new emerging beaches in the region. Um, Indonesia has the best beaches by far, of, but we don't cover Indonesia, so it's sort of a bit off topic. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, I've heard a lot of talk recently about um, Laos as kind of the new... Uh, backpacker paradise. Someone said to me it's what Thailand was like 20 years ago, but um, I wasn't around then to, uh, <laughs> to know what they were talking about. Uh, would you agree with that? It's a common refrain to say Laos is like Thailand 20 years ago or 40 years ago or whatever. Um, it's definitely a flavor of the moment with the backpacking set. Um, there's a very uh, well-ingrained backpacker trail through the country. So if you want to go and have fun and hang out with other backpackers and, and just have a good time, um, Laos is very popular for that. It's extremely inexpensive. Um, so people go there and they, they have a good time. I, I think there's a lot more to the country than hanging out, you know, having a few beers with other backpackers. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's extremely popular. Mm. And... Uh, for people, for people who find that Thailand is too um, too commercial for their tastes or too built up, um, Laos is like a, a good substitute. Mm. So is there anything you'd recommend to help us get off the, the backpacker tourist trail? Uh, head south 
uh, into southern Laos, um, right at the bottom of the country uh, near the border with Cambodia, uh, there's a series of islands that are in the middle of the Mekong River. And there's, there's, well, there's actually quite a few islands. The area is called 4,000 Islands, but I don't think there's really 4,000 of them. Um, and some of them are, are quite busy with backpackers and others are very undeveloped. Um, and it's a very special part of the country. You know, you can go do boat rides and see dolphins. Um, there's, you can do trips out to villages. You can go trekking in national parks and that kind of thing all from this area. Um, and while one of the islands is very busy with backpackers, the rest is uh, quite unadulterated. So really, to get off the backpacker trail, they call it the, pancake, the banana pancake trail, um, not just in Laos but through the whole region. To get off that, all you need to do is stop using a guidebook. Go somewhere that your guidebook doesn't cover. So even in Thailand, it's easy to get off the backpacker trail and get away from tourists. You just have to go somewhere that's not in your guidebook and chances are you'll have a very good time. Mm. And there's enough infrastructure around <clears throat> to find places to stay, even if you have little or no language? Well, it, it would be more difficult, a bit more of a challenge, but you know, that's, in my opinion, that's a part of the travel experience yeah. is sort of having a bit of a challenge to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we haven't talked about Vietnam at all. Right. V- Vietnam is... Um, gets very strong reactions from people and it's sort of in a way it's like Southeast Asia's India people either love it or they hate it um, it's definitely the the most challenging country to travel in um, for a number of reasons um, scams and hassle is a, is a major problem um, Vietnam faces a problem that the other countries don't in that it struggles to get repeat tourism a lot of people go there once, but not many people go. Not as many people go there repeatedly as, say, Thailand, where you'll have people who go there every year for ten years or something like that. It's much less the case with Vietnam. Um, there's infrastructure issues. Uh, there's a very beaten down tourist trail because they have this open bus system that people can get on and off. Mm-hmm. And while it sounds like a great idea what it ends up doing is um, concentrating all your tourists in about half a dozen spots through the country. So everybody is like concentrating on be it Nha Trang or Hue or, or whatever. Um, but there's actually a lot more to the country to that but, than that. But no one goes there because the open tour doesn't go there or the bus doesn't stop there. So you've got to make a bit more of an effort to get off the tourist trail there. And it can be difficult. Um, language can be a problem, particularly in the remote areas. Um, it can be a little bit more tricky. Um, but it's a rewarding kind of place. Like I say, travel is about the challenge or part of it. And um, I generally, I find the people who go back to Vietnam are the ones who have made the effort to get off the tourist trail, who have rather than just done a two-day package tour to the Mekong Delta, they've gone down there for two weeks and just sort of slummed it around, you know, from town to town. That's where you, you get to move outside this tourist bubble that has sort of been created in the country. Um, I mean, for all of the countries that we're talking about, one of the main issues, and, and this is something we see on Travelfish every day, is people trying to do too much in too little time. So we've got this slogan, we say, like, less is more. You know, people need to slow down and sort of say, 
I'm not going to see all of Southeast Asia in three weeks. Southeast Asia isn't like Western Europe where you can sort of bung down and do like sleep on the night trains every night. It just doesn't work that way. So you're far better off to make your itinerary list than cut half of the places from that and spend much longer, not much longer, but longer periods in each town or each beach or whatever it is you're going to because otherwise you're just traveling all the time. Mm. Now, obviously, you could spend a lifetime kind of traveling around the region and really getting deep, but for someone who's maybe on a, a one-year round-the-world trip and their time is limited to that, how long would you recommend people put aside for the region? For the region? And they've got a year all up. Oh, it's, yeah. That's a difficult question. I mean, it depends on a lot of different things like what their interests are and, and what have you. But I would say a first-time visitor to Southeast Asia who wanted to get like a broad kind of taste, I guess you'd say, of what the region has to offer, I'd say probably two or three months. To be fair, I mean, six months would be great. I mean, we've been here for 12 years and we still haven't seen everything, not even close. Um, but I mean... Yeah, you would need probably at least two weeks in Cambodia, uh, three weeks in Laos, a month in Vietnam, a month in Thailand, two or three weeks at least in Malaysia. I mean, Singapore, okay, you can get away with, you know, four days there or something like that. Um, but these these are big countries. I mean, they, you look at the map and it's only 100 kilometers from A to B, but it's only when you get there that you find out that that 100 kilometers takes 12 hours. You know, um, it does take a long time for people to get around. And so on the on the forum on Travelfish, we regularly see people asking questions like, I'm going to Thailand, Laos, Vietnam and Cambodia in four weeks. Can you plan a trip for me? And it's like, well, even if you're only seeing the highlights, the absolute don't miss them highlights, you're still going to be traveling every other day. And that's just not uh, a great way to travel, I don't think. Yeah, that's no fun. No. No. Well, um, that sounds like a pretty pretty good sampler, though. Three to three to four months to to get a an overview. Yeah, I think that's a that's a reasonable amount of time. I mean, some things uh, take more time. For example, in northern Laos, there's a project called the Gibbon Experience, where you can go and you stay in the canopy of rainforests, and it's all connected by zip wires, and you uh, get around from tree to tree. There are gibbons there, but nobody actually ever sees them. Um, and but you're looking at three or four days at least just to do that. You know, in wet season, I think it's about an eight, eight or ten hour walk from the road to get into where this project is. And so people don't, when they read about it in the guidebook or in the newspaper or whatever, and it's like, oh, that sounds great. I'll do that too. And but they don't sort of take into account. Well, that's actually going to take the best part of a week to sort of fit that in. Um, so people run out of time very quickly, and uh, particularly in Vietnam where um, you meet people at the end of their trip and they're just saying, oh, my God, I wish I'd done you know, a quarter of what I tried to do. I'm exhausted. I need to go and sit on an island now just to get over this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Um, I hear that all the time from um, people on vacation rather than people traveling long term. Um, yeah, you try and do six months of travel in your two-week summer holidays. And um, it, it seldom yeah. works. Well, Stuart, um, thanks for coming on the show and talking about, well, 
everything, I guess, your travels, um, travelfish.org, and um, giving us a great overview of Southeast Asia. Oh, my pleasure. Cool. Good to talk to you. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get you back on either later in the year or next year, and we'll look at, um, look at some regions in more depth. Okay, that sounds great. Thanks a lot, Craig. If you're keen to have a further look at any of those travel guides, you can have a look at travelfish.org, or if you come by Indie Travel Podcast, find the show notes for this episode. We'll have some affiliate links there, and we make a small commission if you buy them through us. So if you would, that would be good. Today's show is courtesy of World Nomads Travel Insurance, so before we go, we'd like to thank them again and tell you about their Footprints program. At worldnomads.com, you can support a community development project with a small donation when you purchase your travel insurance online. It's a painless way to help out as you buy. So worldnomads.com, keep traveling safely. And once again, if you come to IndieTravelPodcast.com, there's an insurance link at the top of the page which outlines why we use World Nomads ourselves. And if you use the links there to get a quote, then once again we get a commission which keeps us fed and clothed and hopefully will help us pay for these round-the-world tickets. Yeah, which we've got a book in the next couple of weeks. Indeed. Ooh, um, so, yeah, thanks for everyone who's come by the site and commented on that article, helping us plan our life for the next uh, <laughs> 14 or 15 months. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come by Indie Travel Podcast, and there's an article there where you can kind of give your suggestions for our trip plans over the next year. Um Definitely going to South America for about six months, up to Europe for a couple of months, into Africa. We're being tempted down to um, South Africa to do some wine tasting. Yeah, so I'm really quite keen on like Morocco, Tunisia, Egypt, Libya. I'm really keen on those places. I'm just really keen on the whole world, which makes it very (laughs) difficult to decide where to go. Yeah, you can't do that in 12 months. Um, And then over to Asia, where we will probably finish our round-the-world ticket. Um, (laughs) Not quite getting all the way around the world. But, um, yeah, so come by the site, have a look for that article, and help us. Leave a comment, and together we'll figure out what we're doing with our life. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for everything, guys. I think that's us for this week. So until next week, travel well.